Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Welcome to yet another Memo episode on the European VC, where we dive deep on one of the funds that we're raising an EU VC community syndicate for. In other words, one of the funds that you can join us in backing with minimum tickets at just 1,000 euros. For this, we're talking to Cristobal Alonso from Startup Wise Guys. You've met him before in episode 49, so you know he's quite a personality and that it's an incredible mission they're on with Startup Wise Guys. Today, we're zoning in on the fund we're investing in, Challenger Fund 2, a 20 million euro fund to back and double down on the amazing startups coming out of the Europe-wide Startup Wise Guys Accelerator program. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review and following us on LinkedIn. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Cristobal, nice to have you again at the European VC. How are you today? Very good. Cannot be any better. Sun is shining. It actually feels finally like a spring. So I'm actually uh, <laughs> happy. And, and you know, the last time we told you, I told you we have this basketball championship for people over 40 or grandpa championship. So it's actually today. So I have a full weekend ahead of me with basketball with people I played 35 years ago. Right? So it always feels good. Don't forget to warm up and stretch. <laughs> uh, yeah, the first game of the championship, that gives us a whole hour to stretch. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, that's important. <laughs> Christoval, for people who haven't listened to the first episode or have been living under a rock, can you give us the quick pitch of Startup Wise Guys? Yeah, uh, we 10 years old. We've been running a B2B acceleration for over 10 years, invested in more than 300 companies. We are early stage investor with a focus on acceleration and then follow on and support our companies all the way and or as long as needed. And like example, yesterday we have a company who exited after nine years and we were there for nine years for them, right? Yeah. Then we can talk afterwards about regional graphic, but we're originally from Estonia and always have had a focus in Central Eastern Europe and CIS countries. And, you know, the latest data I have, and correct me if it's probably up to date, uh, out of date, is that you have a super strong community, over 260 startups, more than 600 founders. And what I want to ask you is, what is the team behind the scenes that makes all of this happen? Because I guess it must be a quite well-oiled machine. Well, we always say that we can oil it better, right? You can never be too happy about what you're doing, but I think in the, the team at least is driven oil and driven by passion and values and also by always having a founder hat in everything we do and i think that has been the recipe there is 60 people 22 nationalities based all over europe so i think that's kind of thing couple of i think we have people in the 20s on the 30s on the 40s i think that's also part of the expansion who allow us to understand founders of every age and nationality 49 out of the 65 are female the entire management team of the holding, which is the company that provides the acceleration services, is all female. Half of our GPs are all female. So somehow it has happened over the time. But to me, in something like the tech sector, in which this is one of the things about how can we add more diversity, we add as our role model. If we talk about the fund per se, the three of us who took over to span the company 
in 2016, even if Herty was there from day one. So Herty is the founder uh, originally from Estonia and been there for the last 10 years, passed on entrepreneurship on the, let's say, all entrepreneurship, not tech, very successful there. And then Sparking as one of the main lead angels in Estonia. Doug Einso, also from Estonia, has a couple of exits on his shoulders coming from the foundership, more from the tech side, being even in the Valley with PwC some decades back. And myself, who have always been in between executive roles in a private equity on usually tech operators and launching companies. This is, let's say, my third startup and hopefully the good one. <laughs> but then when growing the team from Challenger 1, our previous fund, to Challenger 2, we realized that we need more power. And we did it as we always do in a startup size, which is promote in within. So we promoted Alexa Balkova from Ukraine, who has been our managing director in eight batches and also our head of portfolio, so she has extensive knowledge of all our alumni startups, how they're growing, how they're growing. And then uh, Gunche Onur, she was our venture partner in Turkey for three years, a uh, fundamental factor of our growth and our positioning there. And we thought that she could be an amazing element to the team. And she's leading direct investments and follow-on investments with Doug and Herty. And I lead, let's say, with Alexa, all the acceleration investments, even if at the end of the day, the five of us have investment committee votes and we all get together to decide, but we try to take a bit of leadership. As you said, with so many companies, we need to be clear who does what, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, but that's really interesting. You just gave us a super cool rundown of the different kind of parties involved that we should know about in the team and the GPs. And I just have one question, you know, for our understanding and for our listeners as well as you have the accelerator, you have your investing activity. How is the team distributed across those different functional areas? Is it transversal where people are involved with a bit of everything? Are you more kind of functionally focused where specific people are only focusing on the investing activity? Others are only focused on the acceleration program? Yeah, I would say it's a bit of mode. I would say obviously the portfolio management team is very much focused on portfolio management. There is three people together with Alexa there. The scouting team, the recruiting team, and I think we will talk about pipeline after, so we can talk about details of how do we scout, how we get people. Yeah. We have seven people in the scouting apart from the GPs. And then we have the transversal options, right? So business development, marketing, and the whole, uh, let's say, product management team together with all the MDs, right? So I think what we tend to specialize the most is on the MD roles, which is the people that we work with together with the GPs on accelerating the companies. And those are the profiles that we keep nurturing, looking, and more and more finding amazing talent that want to join us to do that. And our job right now is to make sure that we keep making the job interesting. So the MDs, which is a super tiring role because it's super intense. Now that we're back to physical, it's a bit more rewarding, I would say. But when it was all online, six months online every day, I think it's extremely tiring role, right? So our key job is to A, either promote MDs to other roles or to let them rest or be able to find a way to get them energized constantly so they keep doing what they're doing amazingly well. Given that this is a memo episode, that means that we're building a syndicate to invest into you guys. I think that we should jump directly into track record and just hear you give us a breakdown. How does your funds work and where have you invested and where are you investing and what's the performance like? Yeah, this is always the most complicated part, right? Because at the end of the day, in a way, we are like a startup that started in 2012 and try very different models until we have gotten to the one that I think that right now, at least from the investment point of view, is solid, right? So, but overall, we've done 304 investments. Total, so David was saying 260. Since the last time we talked, we have already 304 investments. I would say the last 100 have been in the last year. So that's usually when we give all the numbers, we give the track record with everything that has more than one year tenure. 
just because you know, it takes time to mature. So if you look at everything that has been invested with more than one year tenure, we have 3.2x across the entire portfolio. If you look at our fund zero, so the one that we in 2012, so 10 years old by now, it was about 800,000. It's in 12.3x, probably a bit higher because the last exit yesterday or the day before was also in that fund. We have invested 12.1 million euros overall. Our companies has gotten 225 million, so five models you have on the data. So um, I will say for every million we invest, our companies are being able to capture 20 million from external VCs. I think that gives you a very good idea about the opportunity for those companies to flourish. And if we pair that up, that 50% of the portfolio is receiving follow-on funding, right? So you have almost more than 150 companies running towards being potentially exits in a way. And the last probably important metric on the track record is we have 11 exits. Average exit when is 22x across the 11. Very good number. I don't know how others are doing, but we feel very good. If we can keep a 22x across all exits, I think our returns could be always about four or five in total in all the funds, which is the initial target. And the good thing about the exits is that it is spread across different countries, right? So it's not that all the Estonian companies are doing really well. There is three Estonian companies, one Latvian company, one Lithuanian company, one Mexican, one Argentinian, one Australian, Russian, one Ukrainian. So the exits have been across the different verticals and across the different countries. And I think this is very important because also help us having role models in countries that said, we want to be like them, let's go to startup wise guys. Right? And I think that's a key part on what we're doing. And maybe the last thing on the track record, we always did B2B only. We started with B2B SaaS. That has been said bread and butter until 2017, or only the only thing we did. Then we started with fintech. We done 49 investments in fintech. That was 2017. 2000, late 18, we started with cybersecurity. We done 26 investments in cybersecurity. And uh, last year we started with sustainability, focusing on the what we call the from farm to fork. So agritech, food tech, forest tech, and value chain of packaging there. We done already 20 investments, soon 30. We launched a new program. And now within B2B SaaS, we're testing the extended reality, virtual reality, augmented reality, metaverse. And I think that's also fundamental. And CIS, Baltic, Ukraine, Turkey, and Italy are 70%. But last year, we started also in Africa, as so we saw an opportunity with the online. So we expect that a number of African giants coming from the continent will be also added to the portfolio challenger too. We're about to make our first two follow-ons in Africa of two companies doing really well. I wanted to give you the opportunity, Cristobal, because one data point that you kind of went by super quickly, <laughs> but I'd like to give you the time to expand on, is the follow-on. So 50% get follow-on. And when I look at the data, we actually mentored master thesis sometime back looking at this data. This is well above what is typical yep. in average, right? And I'd love you to expand on it. I know why, <laughs> but I'd love to hear mm -hmm. you expand on, on what leads to that happening. Yeah, you're totally right. You know, I'm trying to not be too boring on giving the numbers. <laughs> I, I, I always tell our companies, just say one number and I just gave you about 19, right? <laughs> so, Don't do what I do, do what I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's difficult to focus. It now, but you're right. The average on VCs in the US on the best performing was about 40%. And in the top accelerators in the US is 18 to 21%, right? So 50% of the thing is well above. I think it has to do with several factors. The first one is a survival rate. So 80% of our companies after acceleration or 18 months of acceleration are active with revenues, right? 
So that gives you a big pool of great companies. Secondly, we choose great founders. If we take back founders, doesn't matter how good the accelerator is, right? But I think we have a knack to choose the best founders. That's, I think, is the secret sauce and everything else comes after. And the program is proven that is giving them the skills over time, sometimes not right away, for these companies to achieve sufficient performance, you know. I think you see it clearly, right? In MRR, we trust. <laughs> and I think this philosophy of in MRR, we trust, is being fundamental through COVID, probably even now, to create these companies that over time, the performance is what the VCs are looking for. And right now, for any of the VCs, and there are many who is looking to expand to Eastern Europe, CIS, the first thing they come is, hey, let's talk to wise guys. If you want to understand the region, if you want to understand the best teams, one third of those teams are in wise guys' portfolio. I think those relationships over time with VCs is creating these opportunities for them. And the world that when you work with 60 plus people in the team, we're doing in the communities, et cetera, right? But I would say we've been really working to establish those relationships with the VCs and give those visibility opportunities to our companies over time. And then success calls success usually, right? So it's a matter of keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Yeah, and I think it's very clear for anyone following you guys on LinkedIn that you are dominating the space for accelerators, especially in, in CE and CIS. It is quite amazing to see how whenever you have a competition for the very early stages, then Startup Wise Guys portfolio is very well represented, both in terms of numbers of participants, but also the ones that end up running away with the award. So I think that that is interesting. And then anyone listening in and thinking, hmm, maybe I should be joining this syndicate. I'd say go in and do some due diligence on Cristobal and the team on LinkedIn so you can really see that, okay, there's a lot of activity going on. And that's, of course, a natural byproduct of this huge portfolio that you have, which I think is just the interesting thing about an accelerator model that I think you're seeing too many accelerators not really understanding and doubling down on, which is you can put a damn lot of tickets into a damn lot of companies when you're investing at this early stage. And I think that you're just proving that the model of going into 350 companies, 100 in one year, is just incredibly powerful. I think you said it right. It took everybody time. I think then that no matter how good you make the first choices, you don't double down, you're not going to be able to make the return to investment, right? You will be still a good accelerator, but not a good accelerator fund, right? So I think the key thing here is to be able to double down and even double down twice, meaning at least maintain prorata rights all the way to CSA. I think we come with advantage that on a high valuation world, as we have lived the last two years, by invested early, we are not that exposed to that inflation, we say, on the pricing. And that if that continues, already in CSA, we can have 30, 40, 50 exits if we want to do secondary rounds, etc., which sometimes we do, right? Yeah. But I will say, I think the key change on the strategy of the ones that have been successful is make sure that you have 50% of the money at least to follow on while you still keep the very biggest spread of many bets, which actually allow you to have the diversification because it's still early stage and it's still founder-driven and there's a lot of things that have to be right to get to the right place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we can really see that working. So... Cristobal, now let's shift to uh, your investment thesis. I'd love to, you know, you giving us the core of your fund and, and why you're building it as you are. There is two parts of the core fund. The first one is total belief in the model. We did Challenger 1, which we already invested in 100 plus companies. So we want to basically do the same thing in terms of 120 investments, 120 to 140 investments in the accelerator stage. Tickets between 50 to 100K, depending if you're invested alone or co-investing. 
which will be done over two years. Always B2B and within our four verticals, I would say mostly B2B SaaS, the sustainability, a bit of cyber, a bit of fintech, let's say if you want to look at that one. Then reserving another 40% of the investment for follow-ons, so being able to sustain prorata rights one or even two times. So we say 60 of those 120 companies will get follow-on and 30 of those 60 companies probably will get prorata on the next round. And then the only addition to that would be that in the past, we still have this small packet for direct investments because we saw these many companies who then said, I love you, but I don't want to be in the accelerator for whatever reason. But we still thought those are very strong companies. So we actually have this bucket for about 15%, 20-15% for direct investments. And again, what we see is more and more companies that I want you on my cap table. I actually value your brand in my cap table with or without the accelerator. So that is giving us a direct deal flow that we thought that we need to professionalize and have it very clearly there. If we look at the one more thing, which is the investment thesis from a geographical point of view, I think we will still see that 60% of what we're doing is coming from Baltics, Ukraine, Turkey, Italy, and CE. And then the other 40% is distributed, mostly Europe, but the upcoming or the emergence of the hybrid model because of COVID has mean that we've seen a lot of companies globally coming to us. And in some cases, it makes a lot of sense that we can help them. And we have a couple of very good examples from Ecuador, from Mexico, from Australia, that actually are working really well. Right? I would say 60% maintains the geographical core focus where we have the best networks, the best access to founders, and probably where the brand is the strongest in that sense. And in everything that we accelerate, we accelerate. And it might sound stupid, but is we still take those companies to work for us for 20 to 22 weeks full time after we make the investment. And that's the thing is when you take good funders and you put them through that program, the results that we're seeing sometimes right away or sometimes six to 12 months later are astonishing in terms of growth, founder growth and the startup growth. Because what we think we're doing a lot is allowing those founders to be ready for the scaling phase in leadership, in communication, in who to hire, how to hire, how to onboard. And we are in a world that is a fight for talent. The biggest issue for most companies scaling is how to get the right talent fast enough but good enough. And I think if we prepare them for that 12 months in advance, when they get in there, they're ready, right? And I think that is a key component of the program that has been added there over time. And also understanding impact, how these companies are impacting. Of course, if you have sustainability, you know you're going to do CO2 reductions. But they might be doing amazing things in terms of providing great contracts and employment opportunities in countries where they're not. And that's an impact that they need to talk about. I think it's something that we also try to pan out because I think for the story outside, that becomes fundamental for becoming role models also. Right? Yeah. First of all, you went through verticals, you went through the geographies, Something that you didn't talk much about, and I'd love to ask you to go a bit deeper on, is the profile of these amazing founders you're talking about. Because we're talking about technical founders. Yeah. And I'd love to ask you, first of all, why? And then how is everything built around servicing them best? Because an accelerator program and yours is designed for this specific profile of founders. So it's not like generalistic for whoever is a founder. Yeah. Well, we want to be the Germans of startups, right? I think we Eastern Europe, CE, and potentially also a lot of CIS have a knack to building amazing digital products. And they came from a path of being cheap products, which now is not cheap anymore. Now we need to make the highest quality, right? 
So I, I want to make the best digital products that people will pay whatever it takes because they're the best products, right? I think that's the type of founder we get in. But those guys have, you know, their parents, they have not been role models in those countries. They have not been until very recently anybody who have built companies, right? So I think most of them are still lacking a bit of this lack for business. Secondly, most of them are working in small countries, right? Most of Eastern Europe, take maybe Romania and Poland out, for example, they're very small countries, right? They don't understand scale. They don't understand business at that level, right? But I always said you can coach to a good product guy business. You cannot coach coding to a good business guy. It will take you a long time. And it's not, not the ones for that, right? So I think that's one of the things. And the second one is helping them to understand who do you need in your team? So what are the skills that you don't have? And I think, so when you say, how do we prepare the program? I think we prepare the program to put leadership skills, consumer understanding skills in people that can build a great product. So before they go and build something that nobody wants, we make sure that they're building something that a lot of people want, and then they can build it top class. And then maybe the last one is, and people kind of take this funny way, but is making them pitch. <laughs> so most of Eastern Europeans, because of the English heritage, because of the way the culture was, was about set up, don't make too much noise, right? Don't try to stand out, right? Until 1991, where they had been taught, right? And that is very much ingrained in them there. So we were this massive effort to make them pitch. And it's not pitching because they're going to be in a stage winning competitions. It's because everything in a startup, especially in a remote world startup, is about communication. It's about communicating to investors, to employees, to stakeholders. So if you teach them how to communicate better, I think this is a skill that they will take everywhere. And if it's not in the startup, we invest on the next one. Because we will know that guy is good, that lady is good, right? And if it's good and they don't get it right and we say they're doing the right things, we will invest again because we know they will get it right. And we have done already second time investment in two or three of our founders, right? So I think that's the type of founder. I would say we aim at diversity. We still have many issues bringing more than 20% female founders in tech. And that, that is clear. That is a challenge. But for, just to give an example, I'm super amazingly happy in Italy right now, this batch that is starting, that just started on Monday, have 12 team, five female CEOs, right? In Italy, who there is some very, very less, right? Yeah. Why? Because they want to come to work with us because then we know we will give the space to safely grow and make mistakes. And I think that's part of the space that we are creating for our founders, right? Because it's very cold outside. So one of the, they said, oh, we're working so hard. I said, just wait until, until you really go outside. Then we see how cool. But you create that environment in which, you know, again, trust is not given in Eastern Europe. And because of heritage, we need to create that one so they can support each other, not just us, but their peers, right? And I think that's fundamental things that we build through the program. Yeah. And then you can leverage 700 founders in the network. You can say, oh, what do I need a network? Why is in the network? Why should I tell them my weaknesses, my challenges? And then they realize, because every time you said that, there is three hands raising saying, I can help you with this. I have done it before. Let's have a chat, right? And I think the power of that network of 700 plus founders now, it, we just kind of started scrapping the value of that. Yeah. As we shift from investment thesis to investment strategy, I'm struggling here. Okay, how are we going to make this easy to understand? There's a lot of numbers now. <laughs> but I think, first of all, the best way to start is by asking you to shed some light on the deployment plan, you know, different stages, number of investments you're going to do, and how that affects the size of Challenger 2, basically. So Challenger 2 is a minimum 20 million, but we're aiming at 30 million. And I will explain why that is 10 million. 
could be there. I work in percentages because I think it's easier for people to visualize. Yeah. So we're making 120 early stage investments, which means about 40% of the capital is deployed for first investments. Those investments are usually investing between 50 to 100K euros. While, for example, Y Combinator is, we give 125 or 7%, that's it. We basically negotiate every single deal. That gives us a lot of flexibility to be able to take things with traction that still want to come to the program, but or things with no traction, but they still deserve it, right? Yeah. But I would say the average valuation today for us is between 1.5 to 2 million euros, right? Which is, you know, much more than it used to be, but it's still, if you compare with the market, it's a valuation that you can grow even in series at 40, 50 million, we have good returns. Then we are going to follow on with tickets between 100 to 150 in 60 of those companies, which will make another kind of 6 million euros, right? And then reserve 20% for direct investments. And direct investments is usually tickets up to 200K. It's still quite low valuation, it's still quite small tickets. What do you do? Do you, do you typically come in before a round that's priced by others? Or how do you think about that? You see our motto is first believers, right? So we used to be always the first investment. I think that's changing. I think many times we're coming with some local angels that have invested in the company. Sometimes in our round, they want to add two, three more people because when we come in, then some other angels or some local VCs will like to put the money. So in many of these cases, our round is ended up being a 300, 400K round because yeah. somebody else is coming with us and they see the value of us leading legally the round. We have mm-hmm. four lawyers in-house and that creates a lot of value for others, right? So what we're doing right now, Andreas, is we're doing convertibles in the majority of cases. Mm-hmm. So when I'm, I'm giving the average valuation, it's a cap that we're setting there. And I think the trick for a good investment point of view is that you still want to collect a 10% position in the good companies. If you put in, I don't know, 100K at 2 million, you are not there, right? So what we're doing right now is we are building an option in the convertibles that we can invest up to another 200, 250K more at the same valuation on them. Or if it's very good company, at 1.3X the valuation. But a valuation that if we put that money then we get the next. So after you were with them for six to nine months, said, damn, these guys are really worth a two million valuation. Yeah. Or they're worth even much more. Let's put the money before anybody else put the money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that's how we build, I would say, a good chunk at a good price through the vehicle. But they still might do it really well. And then they get the next round at 20 mil. And that's what we think. If we can get to 30 million, we want to dedicate 80% of that to a still pro rata defend our position one or two more rounds, right? Because I've seen a couple of rounds, we get almost to a quarter of a unicorn valuation. They deploy a lot of capital. I think they did five rounds together. We couldn't do it in the last two, and we got two over diluted. We still got a good exit, but we got better exits on companies on a 50 million valuation because we're able to defend ourselves, right? So we probably need to raise that extra 10 mil. We will raise that extra 10 mil, but using not for more startups, but to defend the position or build the position stronger in the 60 plus winners that we see they are growing, right? To summarize that and correct me if I'm getting anything wrong, Christoval. So we're talking about 40% roughly for accelerator slash pre-seed ticket, 60% roughly for seed and follow-on. And that's spread out roughly uh, across 120 accelerator tickets or investments, 60 follow-ons and 20 direct investments. Correct. In total, 140 companies. Yeah. If you more or less, 120 which is accelerator plus follow-on plus another 20 direct deals, correct? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. I have one question which uh, 
you are very early stage, but I mm. do think it's worth talking about, which is with the current market. How have you guys thought about your investment strategy? Have you done changes? Have you, what have you looked into and what are your conclusions? I look at this very much as when we COVID came, right? I think the good thing on COVID was that the recovery was faster. But there was a point in which we didn't know how fast was going to be the recovery, right? I should be better at marketing because this memo that White Combinator and Sequoia are doing, I did that memo two years ago, already in COVID to my startups. And they always said that was the best advice we got. I was excited with the saying, hey guys, you have to have nine months cash. Don't trust the market to give you more funding. If there's any market that's available, take it right now, et cetera, et cetera, right? But I think it's not changing our philosophy that we cannot have companies that they die two months after acceleration if they don't raise money because they will not raise money in this environment. I think if you ask me what is maybe the only potential change is that we need to be able to deploy maybe a larger ticket ourselves or through syndicates, you know, because sometimes we even agree to invest three months before the program, make sure that if this company needs really 300K, 400K, we can syndicate and get more people in. So this company has the 12 to 18 months run to do what they have to do, right? So I think the only change in the strategy maybe or expanding the strategy is being more active or syndicating yeah. tickets on the first tickets to let others in. So then we have a bigger pool for follow-ons that can sustain this company for 18, 24, until either they have attraction that people have to invest no matter what, or <laughs> they can survive the valley of death uh, longer. Uh, exactly. I'm watching the script here and Andreas is giving me looks, but I have to ask this as well, which is you have a, an interesting kind of plethora of vehicles in Startup Wise Guys. And I think it's really worth you know, taking some time to explain how this works so that people listening in really understand, okay, how do these dynamics play and, and actually create synergies between them? Because that's the, mm -hmm. the cool part. Yeah, and this is what I said, you know, this is one of the few times that sometimes the slides help, right? I usually prefer not to use the slides, but uh, at the end of the day, we have <laughs> a number. So Challenger 2, we call it is the umbrella fund. It's the umbrella that can always co-invest or follow on in everything that is happening across our WiseGuys universe. What happened is through the times in different verticals of regions, we are creating a smaller funds. So either it's funds that are sustainability or cyber that are vertical or Italy or Africa that are regional. What we do is either we co-invest with them, and that's why I said that sometimes the first ticket is not 100K but 50K because we co-invest. But Challenger is always retaining the opportunity to keep investing and even to acquire the prorata rights of the smaller funds if the funds cannot put more money. That, as you well said, it creates many opportunities. The synergy is not only the co-investment, it's because my GPs in those funds are experts in those verticals or those regions. They can source much better teams that we will be able to do with a generalistic fund, right? And they can work with both those teams and the funds in those regions on those verticals because they have the credibility, right? So I think at the end of the day, while it looks complicated from the outside, I think it works very well. And it also allows my smaller fund GP say, I don't have more money, but Challenger does. So if you do well, there is an extra follow-on ticket from these guys, right? Which I think makes, oh, okay, so there's a good follow-on opportunity. And that for startups, especially in today's environment, is a crucial value added that you can add, right? And it's giving us opportunity to have a very senior and passionate representation in verticals and countries that I think it is actually extremely good. Right? And also, again, we can set the pipeline. Somebody said, hey, I see this amazing cyber company in Africa. And Peter said, I don't understand the cyber, but for it, I think you can look at it. And he said, hey, it's actually a very good company. Let's invest on them. 
let's invest together or not. So I think it gives a lot of collaboration across verticals. And you know, sustainability in Africa are having lots of discussions because there's so many companies in Africa looking at solutions for agritech, for farming. And when you talk to Max, said, wow, this guy really understands the space, really understands the corporates in the space, right? So I think there is a lot of opportunities that is coming through that. And at the end, instead of deploying 30 million, we can deploy almost 60 million across all the funds, right? And now we really need to go to deal flow because we have three minutes left and also a quick fire. <laughs> so this is going to be difficult. First of all, I want to say to our listeners, the, the Startup Wise Guys organization and setup is rather amazing to get a close look at, especially for anyone thinking of building an accelerator fund or adding a fund to their accelerator, because I think that there are a lot of learnings from that. So I can only say jump in and join our investment club so you can see this. Because I, I will do 30 <laughs> seconds. So imagine you have 700 founders that recommend five founders each. You have 300 mentors that recommend three startups each. And you have 200 VCs that have invested, but see two, five companies that are too early for them. Just that is giving almost 5,000 companies yearly that we can scout on top of wherever our marketing effort, which I think is super cool, is bringing us inbound. And if you mix that with a team of seven people in a scouting, plus all the GPs that are able to pound on the code, on the product, on the market, on the scalability, it gives you a super powerful pipeline in those countries. So that will be my 60 seconds on how the machine works. Happy to span on everything. As you said, people go to LinkedIn and see all the efforts, how GPs are putting the social media channels to work, because I think it is actually beautiful to watch. And then, you know, in our investment club, go in there, read the memo, see how you have the different programs working together and where they fit in and all that. I think it's really interesting to see. So, Cristobal, with this very short <laughs> deep dive uh, on your deal flow strategy, I think we should progress to the uh, quickfire round. And of course, you know this, this is 30, 60 seconds questions per each. And the first question is, why does the world need your firm? Because we are creating the next generation of founders and role models, which will create both impact on the countries, impact on the planet, and impact on investors. And I think nobody cares so much about that, especially in overlook markets as we do. I think if not, the world will only be working in big countries. And we are desperate in all the dozens of overlook markets in the world to make this happen. And second question, why do the very best founders choose you? Because they love it. <laughs> because it's the most fun and best decision they can do. But I think because they believe we are that a virtual co-founder that can help them with the experience of having done it before in the most critical and fragile time, which is the six to 12 months. And then our brand gives them that extra credibility towards the investor community to be able to raise more easily because it's never easy. They are coming rounds. And for investors talking to us, they know they're going to always get a non-bullshit referral and recommendations about how those startups and founders are performing. And now to the final question, which I love, because we say God knows that many VCs are racing these days. So why should LPs pick you? Top 5% performing VC, take out the accelerator, just VC, impact, measurable and clear, opportunity to diversify, but also to work and follow on in many of our companies in the next rounds or invest with us. And because we will make this the most fun journey you can have in any VC, because most VCs, they're just an LP. So let's make this not only just an LP, but a fun journey 
and an impacting journey. And I think that's what we try to make also special of working with us, right? That you feel proud and fun to work with us. That's why we're so excited to do this with Startup Wise Guys. So if you're listening in and you'd like to join this Operator LP Syndicate, we'd love to have you. Cristobal just hinted to it. We want you to be involved, to be part of the family. Cristobal, thank you for joining us and thank you for embracing the true nature of the quick fire round. I think you're one of the few that respected the timing. So I appreciate that a lot. Thank you guys. And let's invest. Thank you for listening to this episode of the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.